0: folks. Welcome back. You are listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. I'm 58 now and I'm passionate about finding the best ways to refresh the mind, refuel the body and rebuild strength so that I can keep doing what I love into my 60s and 70s. If you've got similar goals to me, then I hope you'll continue to tune in with me each week as I bring you amazing guests from around the world, all with the goal of helping you to improve your sporting performance, regardless of whether you're a triathlete, ocean swimmer, ultra runner, or gravel racer. If you'd like specific guidance and structure, then please think about joining my SWAT Inner Circle, where we have training plans for all types of endurance events, as well as monthly live workshops diving deep on specific subjects. The investment is 50 pounds per month, but, until March the 31st you can join us for £30 a month which is for the lifetime of your membership. Okay so this week's guests just think for a moment about how cool it would be to have an accurate prediction of the bike split in your next event. This is exactly what Best Bike Split does and by all accounts they're pretty damn accurate. Most commentary I've seen and reviews I've read refer to roughly a one percent accuracy so that's about three to four minutes if you're doing an iron distance event. Anyway, let's crack on and chat with the brains behind this software, Rich Harple and Ryan Cooper. Welcome to the show, Rich Harpel and Ryan Cooper from Best Bike Split. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks Thank for you. having us. It's always uh, always more difficult coordinating more than one other person so I uh, appreciate your uh, collaboration on this so my experience of best bike split is through training peaks and uh, although I don't race triathlons now I um did dabble with the idea of going through all of the the little sort of um, box ticking and um information gathering to help me predict times over particular courses and on the on the one or two occasions when I did use it in a race I found it to be uh, to be pretty accurate, and when I was looking around um, the interweb for um, reviews and um, feedback on um, Best Bike Split, I found that many other people were were also pleasantly surprised about how accurate you were. Um, so, I, I suppose I'll start off by saying that, you know, from my perspective as a coach, Best Bike Split is a great tool for coaches and for athletes to have in in helping them to perhaps give them a rough prediction of what they're um, race time might be so and we're going to come on to how that all happens in a in a little while but firstly um let's talk about how Best Bike Split
1: came about
0: so I don't know who wants to start with that one
1: sure um well Ryan and I met in Dallas uh while training for um I believe it was Ironman Coeur d'Alene in 2007 or so and Ryan came to me with an idea uh, I think he got it while watching the tour. He noticed that somebody had a piece of paper taped to their, uh, bike, uh, with a breakdown of, of one of the time trial courses. And, um, he thought that with his background in math, he could come up with a way to calculate those, uh, that type of power plan and break the course down into sections using, um, software versus, uh, I'm not sure how they were doing it back then, probably spreadsheets and lots of time, but mm-hmm that's the the basics of how the idea came about.
2: Yeah. I think it was a, uh, oh, what year was it? I don't know if it was 2012 or 2013 tour de France. I think it was the, I think it was the 2012 tour de France, but Tony Martin had a, a time trial specialist, obviously very, very accomplished world champion, multiple world champion. Um, and he had broken down this course and he had just kind of this big sheet and, and part of it taped to, the, taped to the front of the bike. And it was broken down into like, hundred meter sections and 20 meter sections and wow. a half very specific, like, okay, I can take this corner like this. I need this kind of power on this hill. I need this, this, and this. And so looking at that and, and just knowing how meticulous he was, uh, about his race prep. Yeah. That was, that was kind of the genesis of, of the idea. And, you know, Rich and I had worked on a couple of projects before that. And, uh, and so it just to me, it just kind of made sense to say, Hey, like let's give this thing a try and, <laughs> and and see if anybody else is willing you know kind of willing to 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 use it uh and at the beginning i think we launched we didn't even have uh it was kind of a beta free beta um type of thing and so yeah that was that was the very beginning and uh and what i loved about working with rich is that the way <laughs> the way my mind works works it's a uh, Everything is very, very kind of complicated, and he can go in and like look at something. And say, okay, here's the here's as simple as we can make it to try and to, to try and implement it for actual real people. Um, and so it it was uh, this really good kind of pairing of of you know different styles and different mindsets on things. So
0: it it makes me think of when I watch the rallying how the drivers have pace notes. Um, so the so the co-driver is calling out a couple of corners in advance, you know, fifty right, second gear, thirty left, etc. But of course, they're able to do that by going over that course multiple times, mm-hmm. um, and they have the time to do it and the resources. And equally, Tony Martin would have wrecked that time trial course; it would have been a stage that he would have earmarked within that race as a potential. Um, stage win for him, and so he would have probably ridden it four or five times on different bikes, yeah. different wheels. He would understand what the weather conditions. He probably spoke to locals who said, "Well, on this road you get the wind from here, and on there you typically get the wind from there." Most of the people that we know, um are recreational age group triathletes, who don't get the benefit, for instance, if you if you're living in England, of going to Hawaii, for instance, more than once in your life, never mind going three or four times or spending three weeks out there to ride the course and get. Um, all the data and an understanding of the hills and the wind and the temperature and, and the road surface etc so that to me seems like where best bikes bit comes in because you've collected that data over time so um was was your initial focus on cycle racing then because you'd seen tony martin or was it did did you see triathlon a, um, as a huge market
1: i think triathlon was probably our first target and then mm-hmm. um We quickly realized that there were some other uses, um, obviously road racing, but, um, besides the time trial, we saw teams using it, um, with the entire Peloton in in mind and, um, running models that were like the tip of the Peloton. Ryan can probably elaborate on, on that a little bit more.
2: Yeah, so we did we definitely did start uh with triathlon in mind. Uh, I think the very first social media post we had or one of the very first ones uh was around the 2013 70.3 world champs which was in 2013. This would have been in it wasn't St. George, it was or was it Saint George or was it Vegas?
0: Uh, was it 70.3 world championships? Did yes, you say? was that was that the first year they left
2: um, Clearwater, yes. Did it?
0: Did it go to Henderson or somewhere to Henderson Lake? It did. That would be Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right.
2: It was yeah. in Las Vegas, and it was a very hard bike course. Yeah, mm. uh, Sebastian Kinley, I believe, won that one. And but we had done some. We had used this model, and and we were testing it out, and we were about to launch beta, and we tweeted out to uh, Josh Amberger was one of the first. Um, right. First, uh, pro athletes to share so much power data, and so you, you'd have a lot of these athletes. And you know, power was still relatively—I mean, it, the pros were all using it, but you know, it, it wasn't as commonplace. And so, you weren't—they weren't sharing it out as mm-hmm. uh, as well. You know, like they do now, where they they share out pretty much everything. Um, and but he was very open about sharing all his data, and so it was kind of neat that we could. We could take that data from all his previous races, look and kind of back calculate his aerodynamics and in what we thought they were. And then uh and so we tweeted out a time, <laughs> we tweeted out a time for him like a day beforehand and said, oh, you know, our models show that Josh Amber is gonna do a 215 something, right? 21504, 215 something. And um pretty hard bike course by today's standards. You know, now they're all real close to two hours flat, right? Um but but we kind of, we tweeted that out and he, to my surprise, he came back and said, excuse my my language, but he said, number shite, man. And it was, <laughs> it was basically, he thought he was going to go a lot faster than that. And, you know, I don't know if it got in his head or whatnot, but he ended up writing a 215, 15 or something that day, <laughs> right, on, right on the money. And he wrote back and said, you know, he's like, oh man, so like your numbers were spot on. and uh, And then we worked with him for the next season. So it was really cool to like kind of have that you know, both that back and forth with the, these, these pro athletes, but also um, know that, you know, your models are, are working the way that, that you expect them to. So um, that was, that was our, definitely our first target was, was triathlon for the very reason you mentioned you come from Australia, you maybe get to ride that course one time uh, mm-hmm. or even just pieces of it. Cause you're not going to go ride the whole thing. The road may not be closed. And so to be able to get some idea of what to expect um, is is hugely beneficial to the age group triathletes. <laughs>
0: triathletes yeah. love triathletes love data as well, don't they? They love they love crunching numbers and you know precision. Yeah.
1: Definitely, yeah. I was going to comment on on um, how when smart trainers came along, we were able to um, create files that a user could ride on a smart trainer mm-hmm. and, and get the feel of what the power was going to take. For a specific course, like you mentioned, hmm. you know Hawaii with the uh, the wind and you know all those things uh, affecting how much power you need, a smart trainer would allow them to ride a course that they had never been on. Hmm. Did Did you ever do
0: anything with Compu Trainer at all, um, or we were were they sort of fading? Because I was the UK distributor for Compu Trainer, so I can tell you a couple of stories about how I sort of did a um, something a, a very a very simple. Um, in line with we, what you, you
2: guys are attempting. Yeah,
1: we did. Originally, uh, we had files for CompuTrainer. Mm. Yeah.
2: CompuTrainer was cool, too, because you could actually put the wind... Because um, yeah. you could do like, two different types of courses. You could do an ERG file, you know, and just yeah. and just do it with your... But the course file allowed you to do, you know, the the headwind, tailwind component to it mm. in a meter per second. And so I always thought it was really cool because you could do their course file... And so you'd have the elevation changes, but also that wind and also like all those little settings that you had um, that you could really, I think you could even do rolling resistance and stuff. Um, And now you can, you can do that on the kicker and they, they allow you to do that. But like, for sure, CompuTrainer was well ahead of the game and like course simulation. I don't know that very many people have focused on that much since then. Well,
0: we... We used to um, when we started doing real course videos. I was, you know, we did Hawaii first, and we went out. We had four GPS um, units on the dashboard. We had a we had two cameras um, capturing stuff. We filmed. We went We went ahead of the race, so we got all of the aid stations out, but we didn't have any bikes. So subsequently, they would start later on in the race, and um, there's obviously all those safety considerations. But I remember going to Ironman Canada um, and trying to work out how long it would take me to get up Richter Pass. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with the Ironman Canada course. It's going back there um, next year. But Richter Pass is this long climb. It's about 10 kilometers long. It actually has three stages. It flattens out in the middle, and then it flattens out again, and then you get over the top. So I rode at a certain power. Um, I dialed the wind in as best I could, and, and I rode it uh, once a week for the six weeks before I went out there. And I sort of thought, right, I, can, I know I can ride at this pace, and that will still, that will mean I'm not pushing too hard. I know it's going to take me, there's a there's a feed station at the bottom and there's one at the top and I know it's going to take me 20 minutes. So as long as I fill up on water before the bottom, I can get rid of both bottles and then I don't need to have any water going up or I can just have a, a, enough for a small mouthful to keep my mouth moist. Um, and I know there's going to be one at the top. And so I'm only going to be without fluid for 20 minutes. And I was within 30 seconds on race yeah. day, I was within 30 seconds of my time and I rode it. almost the same power
2: so that's a very basic version of what you guys are trying to do for the whole race well and and, but that's a great way to train too right because you know breaking that down into the sections because if there's you know if there's this big long flat section and you know that there's not gonna be that much wind or anything you kind of just know what to expect but if you break it down and say okay here's the key part of the race and i'm going to train that like you did once a week and and kind of know what to expect and then it's it's not a surprise anymore on on race day like you just go okay here it is and now I'm ready to go tackle it so it's really cool so
0: when we when we went to get data we would we'd have to go all over the world and film these courses so obviously the amount of videos we had was quite limited how many courses do people have access to through best bike split now and how have oh. you got and how have you amassed all that data because i guess you guys haven't been racking up uh, um loyalty points on
1: your, uh, on United, <laughs> yeah. have you?
2: Rich, um, <laughs> jump in. He's going to look it up right now.
1: It, it's over a hundred thousand, I believe the last ah. time I looked. Um, and it's funny cause I was just looking at an old email we sent out on setting up your first race plan. And it said now with over 2000 courses, <laughs> and that was back in probably 2015. Um, but we allow users to upload their own courses. Okay. So the vast majority of those are, you know, personal routes that people are riding around or test routes. Um, as far as as uh, Ironman type races and and major events, we try to uh, create those ourselves or um, find a user's course and then compare it to the actual posted course and make sure everything is exactly right, including the elevation. Mm -hmm. And then we'll, uh, what we call verify those and we just check them off as verified. So if you're doing a search for a specific race, we'd always recommend, um, looking for a verified course, which means that it is, it's something that we have, have checked over. It's not just a, uh, a file that someone else has uploaded.
0: Right. Because I've noticed I have, um, I have a, a wahoo head unit on my bike now mm. um is it? yeah it is a wahoo yeah um and it's great but when i get the data back it, it nearly always um overestimates the uh the elevation that i've cycled mm. and one, when i when the I, I,
2: we, oh sorry go ahead no i'm mm.
0: gonna say it nearly always needs correcting and correcting down yeah versus I, 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 need, I plan yeah. a lot of i plan a lot of my rides on ride with gps so mm-hmm. there's yeah. a there's definitely a, a an offset between their elevation and the one that's picked up on Wahoo.
2: Yeah, I think right with GPS, we, we tend to do a lot of stuff with them as well. Um, they have really good kind of elevation correction algorithms. Mm. Uh, we also have implemented our own elevation correction algorithm. So if you start, if it's a, if it's a circular course, and you started at one elevation, and then by the time you get to the end, it's at a different elevation. You <laughs> <Yeah. end. laughs> there's some problem there, right? And so, uh, so kind of doing some some checks around that. Um, we also implemented, um, and, and it's another thing that we'll we'll continue to look at potentially is uh, uh, if you do corrected data and you get kind of this uh, satellite data or whatever the, the kind of different different elevation data they don't do a great job of picking up bridges and overpasses and things like mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. so kind of being able to detect where a bridge would be, detect where a tunnel is. That's something you get a lot in Europe um, where you, where you're suddenly you have this tunnel through the side of the mountain. But if you look at the elevation, it's like you you're here and then you jump up to the top of the mountain, then you jump oh. back. down. We, so. we do a lot
0: of, um, we do a lot of our own tours through Europe, you know, seven mm-hmm. day tours. We organize all our own support vehicles and accommodation and, I've, I've been on a few rides where you're looking in it and thinking, wow, there's like 4,000 meters of climbing. There's a really big hill coming along here at the end. And then you go through a tunnel and all of a sudden you've gone through it and that's it. Yeah. It was, was taking it. <laughs> you right up to the summit of Mont Blanc and you've gone through the tunnel in the middle.
2: Yeah. <laughs> mm. So, so you- uh, we, we do do a lot of, um, you know, kind of that stuff behind the scene and scenes as well. Um, and we did run into a, something interesting that popped up not that long ago where... There's there's a race in kind of by the the Dead Sea, and oh, I didn't yeah. realize how low elevation the Dead Sea. Yes, yeah, below 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 sea level. Significantly below. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was causing some issues because we were like, well, what's the lowest that we need to check for? Like 100 meters, 200 meters. Like, oh no, it's way down there. So mm. yeah, that was a you know, you always, you always kind of find these little surprises. So it's interesting. Going,
0: going to the Dead Sea is a whole different experience. Cause if you actually swim in it as well, it's got, it's so salty that you just float on the top. You mm. definitely don't yeah. want to uh, swallow any of that water.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yes, I, I, mean, I think that's, uh, the courses that you're talking about, like we, we do allow people to upload their, their own. And, and I know like Rich has talked about, um, now that he's, he's taken back over, um, doing, um, uh you know maybe some integrations with strava right with gps to be able to pull those those mm. courses in from different right areas. so be some on well, the you, map. you
0: talked you talked about um using it for for cycle racing as well i can see you know, triathlon um is an individual sport it's supposed to be it's not supposed to be any drafting but of course if you ride 10 meters behind somebody even as a pro uh, i mean the pros will all tell you that there's still an advantage um how do, how do you take account of those then um, or don't you? Do you just do you just make calculations based on somebody is the leader and they're the one who is creating that, you
2: know riding through the wind? Yeah. So the when we talked to the teams and how they were setting it up and and I know Rich has recently signed some some kind of looked at the partnerships and, and signed a couple of big big teams uh, as well and the way they were looking at it. I went to the 2016 tour and in the way some of the teams were using it is they would kind of look at the front of the Peloton as a single entity, right? And just like you're saying, and so it's, you still get a, even if you're sitting on the front, you still get an aerodynamic advantage for having all those people behind you. And so mm-hmm. you don't have that kind of vortex going. So, but if you look at it as a pulling rider and you say, okay, these are, this is the kind of power that the pulling riders are doing for the Peloton. And, and you start to, to model something that way. Then you use the time analysis tool that we have to say, okay, based on the weather, based on the conditions, based on the road, where would be a place that you could potentially make a break? So if, you know, if they're not pulling at that power and you kind of know where they are, these team cars are right there. They're reading the data. They know they know what kind of power numbers these guys are doing. And they can say like, okay, if we increase power in this next section, say it's some crosswind, and then it's going to turn to a tailwind. If we can make a break of a minute right here and push the power for the next, you know, 10 kilometers then turn into this tailwind now suddenly those two or three riders are up the front uh the amount of power the peloton is gonna have to do to pull them back in is huge um Mm -hmm. just because they have this big tailwind or whatever else and so they look at it from more of a kind of a tactical perspective um or looking at a climbs where you know some of the gc favorites are gonna gonna be out in front um and you look at the climb and say okay Where's the place where if we really push watts per kilo, like they can be some significant acceleration and, and separation from people. So um, so you see some of the teams doing uh, doing quite a bit of uh, work um, in analysis in, in that area. You,
0: I mean, I guess that teams would still want to recce the, the route, but does, does oh, using yeah. Best Bike Split mean that they don't perhaps have to ride that as many times? They can maybe do some
2: modeling and then just go and test it out on the road. I think they do. A lot of teams are doing that, especially for time trial. So, you know, you, you, they're going to go do the, the rec anyway, but, um, you know, if there's a smaller race or they're not going to have time to do it, um, then, then a lot of them will, will go and and, uh, kind of pre preload all that in best bike split and, um, and, and do it that way, especially if they, you know they're looking at different wheel choices and stuff, and they're saying, "Okay, where's the wind? You know, let's look if the wind's out of this direction, what does it look like? If the wind's out of that direction, what does it look like? Because you never know when you're when you're doing a recon. You know, the wind could be out of the south today, and then out of the you know north or west the next day. So,
0: our um, gravel riding is becoming very popular. Are you doing anything with um, mapping for gravel riding at all?
1: We are. We actually just um, implemented some updates uh, a couple months ago to add um some settings for gravel and uh, mountain bike Um, although we have a few more things we need to do to to get to where we want to be and one of those is having to deal with courses where there's multiple types of uh terrain so you might do a gravel race where there's uh you know a rough Type of gravel and uh, a different packed gravel and some road. So mm-hmm. being able to break up a course and have multiple road types would be a a big plus there.
0: Do you do you have to consider road surface as well in the different countries? Because I know in in the UK or in New Zealand, that those roads are notorious for having tarmacadam that's really sort of pulls at you. Whereas if you go to Austria, and I've I've ridden in, I've not ridden in New Zealand, but. Um, you know, riding in Austria or Switzerland, the tarmac's like being, when you're riding, it's like being on a Formula One racetrack. So do you do you build those variables into the um,
1: system as well? Right now, it's a setting that the user has to uh, select when they create a race. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, we want to be able to pull in course data that would include that. Um, and I believe Ryan can... Correct me, but there was a uh, there is a site, and I don't know if it was was it Strava or one of the sites. Their courses did have a setting for road type.
2: I think I think Strava and Ride with GPS just recently kind of implemented that in their maps functionality to show where paved and unpaved are. Um, but to yeah, to your your point, we do have different road surface types as a selection. So you know, the, here in Texas, we, we have a chip seal, (laughs) which, which is the same, you know, it's this just not fast, slow, bumpy stuff, you know, extremely smooth type of surface and that rolling resistance change uh, would then be implemented there. Because as you said, it's like, it's like you're riding on, yeah, a the best racetrack (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah.
1: So, so it's, it is currently um, up to the the rider or the athlete to select what type of uh, course it is. And I'm looking at the settings and we have everything from perfect track surface to, you know, average, poor, rough, off-road gravel and off-road dirt.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe now's a good time to just explain to listeners who are not familiar with Best Bikes Split how... How it works so what what would somebody do that's get um taken their first subscription or a, a trial subscription in um in best bike split and they're they've got a race coming up um and maybe so go through go through some of the sure. information they'd have to input to start with and then sure. how they might get the most out of it
1: yeah um so there's uh really three key uh bits of information that we need. And that's the athlete's profile, the bike profile, and the course that they're going to race before we can create a race plan. Um, and so each one of those is broken up into a small form that takes maybe two minutes to to complete the whole thing. Um, under the athlete's profile, um, we have things like uh, experience level, training elevation, um, height, weight. And then, uh, we can either calculate your FTP or we can have, uh, if you have done that before and, uh, have your own FTP, uh, you, you punch that in there and FTP being the the main, most important factor in that group of settings. Mm -hmm. Um, once that's done, you would create a bike and it's basically the same idea you um, put in some basic information like the weight of the bike, what type of components and wheels, um, your racing style, like w- what position do you typically race in, whether it's um, in arrow bars or just in the drops. Um, and then we can calculate things like uh, rolling resistance and your uh, drag coefficient based on those things. But we also allow you to, to type those in if you know those those things you maybe gone to wind tunnel.
0: Right. I was going to ask you how, how would somebody know what their, what it's called CDA, isn't it? The, uh, right. the prefix for it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how, how would somebody know that? So they might go in a wind tunnel. Are there any other uh, ways that they can test that out.
1: Yeah. Um, they could do it uh, with bike measurements. So we could, we have a setting where you can um, take a look at all these different measurements, like what angle you're, you're at on the bike. Um, you know, how low you're getting, uh, your, your bike fit, all those things. And we can try and calculate it based on that. Um, we have another tool called uh, race analytics where you can upload a past race and by back calculating your, your power and, and time and all those things, we can try to figure out what your CDA is based on that. Um, and then, uh, the most basic way is, is by taking this information that you put in on, your race position and the type of bike and, uh, what type of wheels you're rolling on and those sort of things.
2: And what what we found on, on CDA is, you know, uh, nowadays it's a little bit different, but you can kind of say, okay, what what do I look like? And you kind of just say, okay, if, if I look, you know, if I look like I'm kind of upright and, and, uh, you know, even if I have all this aero equipment, but my position is not, dialed in then you kind of know a range you you can get a range of, of what they're what they're at um and so we we've tried to make it as simple as possible and the race analytics um you know was we we came up with that for that very reason just to to say like okay previous race data you know make sure your weight's accurate make sure you know the the data looks good coming in and and you can usually get a pretty pretty good answer in terms of you know within a small 5% range of what some of the CDA is. Um, yeah. So you, you
0: the, uh, the, the athlete will put that information in how close do you talked about Josh Amberger's uh, predicted race time and his actual race time. Must seem to be within about 10 or 15 seconds. Is that you? Is that usual?
2: I mean, it's, it's one of those things where good data in is going to be good data out. And so we, we did a a big study with Trek factory racing in 2014, um, around this. And, uh, and, you know, if you get really good wind tunnel data, if you get really good CDA data, and if you have your weather data, really accurate, um, in rolling resistance, then for sure you can get super close. So I think, uh, even, um, uh, Kristen Armstrong, when she won the 2016 gold medal in Rio, uh, had her coach had modeled her out. And, uh, and I, if I remember correctly, he had only modeled it up to like, he cut out the last like half a kilometer or whatever. And he said, okay, I'm going to have you go into where you theoretically have nothing left in the tank, but you still have a kilometer left to go. And I want to say it was within two or three seconds. And, uh, and then he knew that she would like mentally be able to get over that barrier for that last half a kilometer and and still be able to like be completely gutted and <laughs> win the race and uh, and so I think for you know when you have all that dialed in then you can get really really close as you start to to look at those, Gravel races you mentioned and some of those others, there's just so many other variables to where, you know, if we can get within five minutes or so, then I think we're we're doing pretty well. And for the, you know, those six hour long races. Um okay. So I think for the most part, yeah, we usually get pretty, you know, if the numbers are dialed in, you're gonna get really, really close. And if you race to the optimal power, you know, if you front load a race and you went really high in your power early and then you trailed off, but you trailed off when you happen to be going up a mountain, then your times are <laughs> going to be different.
0: Yeah, well, I, I guess as a coach, one of my one of my concerns would be, and this is obviously down to athlete psychology and ego as much as it is about the data, is that somebody sees that now and then they're chasing that all the time. Um, right. And then they blow up, and particularly in a triathlon, it doesn't matter if you're Chris Armstrong and you can out your spleen and then cross the line and there would be somebody there to catch you in a triathlon, you've got to get off the bike and there's still another right. part of the race left to do. And of course, you need to um, you need to factor that in in terms of how hard you're going. But um, has has anybody ever come back to you and said that that's happened? That they you know that that caused them to go too fast, and oh, I'm perhaps blaming you because it would never be their fault that things went wrong, would it?
2: I I think most of the time it's the opposite. They they feel they like are. they're going slowly, like, like because it, it especially you know if you're a coach and you're dealing with it, then you know you know what huh. what levels and where those those matches are, and so do we allow um through the settings and through advanced settings to say okay you know what's the max 20 minute power that you're going to do over this course or what's the max ten minute? you can kind of you can really define these limit limiters um on an athlete so you can say well they're not going to go over 75 you know we're going to shoot for 75 to 80 percent of ftp or something like that for this this race but we're going to set a max of you know 90 or something so if for short periods they may it may get a little higher but um yeah you definitely don't want to just kind of let it go to where you know like as if it was a time trial where you're (laughs) you're you're trying to be exhausted at the end for sure do you do you find that
0: there are some courses where it's it's more difficult for you to be accurate I I read somebody saying that they tried Ironman Wales which is a which is a course I've ridden myself and there's a lot of short sharp climbs in there but but you don't really, the, the descents off those are, are quite narrow. Um, they're twisty. Uh, the surface is a bit sketchy. So you definitely don't get a chance to do anything more than freewheel, cautiously down them um, rather than keeping the power. Whereas something like I am on Austria, they're short and they're sharp, yeah. but but actually the descents are lovely and long and you can get into a tuck and you don't have any corners and you can, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like gliding when you're skiing. You know, you can just get into that tuck position and, and make the max out of it.
2: I would say Wales is probably the mo- one of the most yeah. challenging courses, and for the, all those reasons, we recently, I think uh, Rich did an update. Oh, I don't remember when this was, a couple weeks ago or a month ago, where you um, updated the some of the segment code so that we, could, you know, it would start to pick up those little those uh-huh. little sharper things, um, and there are settings where you can. Um, Under advanced settings, where you can you can kind of put a max descent speed in, and so then it it says, okay, well, yeah, this on paper this looks like a these nice little downhills, right? But in reality, they're so narrow that you're you know you're not sitting there just full gas going down. Definitely not. Um, Definitely not. And because, but just specifically because of those kind of races, and as it started to look at endurance mountain biking and, um, and gravel racing, there was a lot more of that kind of stuff. So, um, so did some, some updates and in, in that course segmentation. So I'd be curious to do a case study on Ironman Wales the old way and yeah. then doing it now and seeing how much different it would be.
0: Well, maybe, maybe if there's anyone who's listening, that's, uh, using best bike split and has done Ironman Wales and is doing it this year, um, wants to be that study. Maybe we can put them in touch with you and, uh, Yeah. take it from there. Um so the new user, this there's quite a lot of information that you talked through there, Rich, that they need to put in. So I guess the first time you're gonna enter that data, there's there's a fair amount of manual labor required. How how long is it roughly gonna take if somebody's concentrating on the job?
1: Oh I mean five minutes, Max, probably. Right. Um I was going to mention earlier. So after you select the course, you have everything you need to, uh, set up a race plan. And what we, uh, typically see or what we recommend is creating a race plan that of a race you've already done a previous race. Mm. And then you can fine tune some of your settings based on, on that plan and what the, <laughs> the times are and all those kind of things to power. And, um, then from there start planning for a future race
0: okay um and so i presume that once that's been done then the the user can set up a profile so they don't have to put a lot of that information in again if they're creating a new race that right
1: right the uh the athlete profile is going to be the same for all races now you can add more bikes as you go with premium accounts so you may have a road bike or a tri bike or Mm -hmm. a time trial bike you want to add um if you only have one bike then you don't make any changes there as well. And then from, from there, you just, uh, you can either even duplicate a race plan and then tweak it. So you might have multiple plans for the same course and same race.
0: Okay. And do you, do you have a coach's version as well, where the coach has a dashboard and the coach can use those profiles and, and do the work for the athlete?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the coaches, um, it's pretty much the same setup. They just have the ability to add multiple athlete profiles. And then under each athlete profile, that athlete would have their own bikes and their own courses set up. Uh, one of the things I did
0: find useful as a coach was um, was to be able to work out, if, if somebody had a target time of, of an Ironman, so let's say they wanted to go six hours, sub six hours on a particular course to Work out, put all their data in, and then work out what exactly was going to be necessary to do that six hours yeah. so you could say to them, Okay, so um, at your weight and on this bike with your current profile, you're going to need an FTP of 240, right? Um, and your FTP is 220 at the moment, and you've got three months now. Increasing your FTP by 20 watts in three months for somebody who's been cycling for years is there's a lot of hard work right. in there, however. Yeah. If you could lose three kilos in that <laughs> time, actually th- your watts per kilo would be closer to what we need. So you might right. find more return on your investment for thinking about your nutrition than just beasting yourself all the time on the bike. And um, <laughs> yeah, or definitely maybe if you were to pay more attention to your nutrition and more attention to your aerodynamics by, um, spending a lot of time on your mobility so you can get into a more tuck position and then be able to hold it for long without penalizing your run then you'll also find benefit in that rather than just training you know training yourself out yeah. to to boost your ftp so this um it, it was good to show people how realistic their targets were and whether actually you know six six hours is just gonna kill you for the run or it's feasible or actually you can get but you can you can make more gains by doing this instead of that is yeah that is that is that typically something you find that people do?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I was going to mention that a lot of people maybe are worried about making a cutoff. And you know they're, yeah. they're looking at how how long they have and what it's going to take just to complete the ride and make the cutoff. Um, and one of the tabs on the, the race profile is called the time analysis tool. And it's, it's simple uh, sliders that you can slide for your drag, power, weight and um, even the rolling resistance and see how that's going to affect your Mm. overall time. And um, that's a a very easy way to do what you just mentioned and see, you know, if I drop a couple kilos or, you know, if I can bump up my FTP by a bit, how is that going to affect me overall? I think
0: it's um, an interesting discussion I always have with uh, riders is the fact that, that they are the cause of the most of the drag on the bike. And so you've got somebody saying to me, well, I'm going to get these new wheels, these new zip wheels with these, um, you know, the ones with the uh, slight chamfering and the little dimples on there. They're supposed to be really aerodynamic. And I'm like, yeah, but if you lost a couple of kilos and got more mobile, you're going to save loads more drag than those wheels. And it's and it's not going to be as expensive. No, no, no. I really think the wheels are going to be able to make a difference. Having, the, having black and white data that shows them the benefit of that is um, another yeah. very powerful tool, I think.
2: I, I there was a company for a while and i remember and well throughout what company it was but uh you know they the marketing was so great on that because they're like this this bike uh saves whatever 10 percent at Kona or something like that and i was like well, if the bike's riding by itself with no rider (laughs) at, you know, at at whatever this speed is and the wind's out of this direction and it just is constant, then yes, it saves that amount of time. Uh, But as you mentioned, the, I always used to, when I would talk at at different things, I would say, you know, the, the biggest drag on of all of it is, is you as the rider. And you can think about it like, every time you get out of that aero position, especially if you're going 30 kilometers an hour plus, right. Every time you get out of that aero position, it's just like you're losing time. And so the more comfortable and the more you can stay in that position, the better your mobility, Um, uh, you know, it's going to save you again. If you're only, if you're 20% of the race, if you're out of aero, it didn't matter what wheels you had. Right. And so, um, you know, being comfortable, being keeping keeping that position knowing when to shake yourself out you know when you're going slow enough you're going to you know stretch out get get those kind of things but when you have a headwind or if you're you know going fast then you need to be tucked and you need to be mm. you know kind of in, in the best uh, position possible so it is it is interesting to see um to see that and i think we've all been I know I was guilty of that. I was like, man, these wheels are so cool. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't go any faster. <laughs>
0: well, it, it breaks my heart as a coach when I see somebody who's got, you know, like they've looked at the ad and it said, this is the fastest biking Kona. Yeah, but only because it's got Jan Fredino on it.
1: You know, right. <laughs>
0: it's not, you know, if it's got Joe Bloggs, who's who's, who's 200 pounds sitting at the back, it's not the fastest biking Kona, is it? But I, I see people who spent all this money. They've got the aero helmet. They've, mm-hmm. got the, they've got the skin suit, but then they're sitting on the hoods because they haven't practiced being in the aero position and they've spent all that time on their indoor trainer smashing themselves to boost their FTP, but they've done it in a road bike position. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you look at the tour riders, they spend an awful lot of time finessing that ability to put out their maximum wattage in the aero position as well. And that's a learned skill, isn't it? And it takes time. And I I don't think there's enough emphasis put on how am I going to get my power out, the power that, you know, BBS is suggesting I need for my race in the aero position to get the most benefit
2: i i definitely think yeah that's a that's been a problem for a long time and i I think people are starting to kind of understand now so that when they see you know they see the these pro riders or they see you know these these really good riders and they they see you can see what a good aero position looks like and then you can look at your picture and go okay well i'm not that position and so you just you know at some point you just kind of reiterate that with athletes and say, look at this picture, look at you. And, um, you know, when you start to look more like that, then you're, you know, and your power can stay similar, then you're going to go 15 minutes faster. And, Uh, um, and it is interesting because you look at somebody like Gustav Eden, or you look at Jan Frodeno, or you look at those guys, um, you know, they're not putting out, I mean, they're putting out really big wattage. Uh, so don't, you know, (laughs) not kid ourselves there, but, you know, they are doing so in a very efficient manner and and so uh you know the speeds that they're achieving their wattage hasn't gone up significantly in the last 5 years uh you know they're at the pointy end of the spear already but they're you know they're positioning they're just their attention to detail and you see the times just dropping like crazy mm-hmm. so uh you know people going 4 hours when it used to be 420 right yeah so.
0: well yeah I remember when Norman went 4.15 in Kona and uh, everybody thought that I would never be beaten. Yeah. Um, you, uh, Rich, you suggested that we should talk about some common use cases. So um, I was trying to um, think about what they might be, but so uh, I'll let you guide me on that. Give me some examples.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we touched on one um, is just trying to figure out what it's going to take to get a certain time or to make a, a cutoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that was what we originally built it for was to be able to, uh, say, I want to finish in this time. I want my bike split to, to be here and what it's going to take to get to that, just to, um, you know, make it reality. Or, or you be able to see what it actually takes to get there? Um, Ryan can probably hit on some of the more obscure things that, that people are using it for. And, you know, besides the tour and, uh, using it in Pelotons and those kind of things, which we never thought would, would actually be a use, but it seems that, uh, more and more people are figuring out cool ways to use it. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, I
2: to, you know, just to add a couple of other things, uh, you, you touched on equipment selection. So, you know, assuming somebody is in this good arrow <laughs> position, we do have people looking at uh, various equipment selection. Um, again, that's a lot of times at the, at the tour level. And they're kind of looking at, okay, we've got these, we know what this rider on this bike is and we know the weights. I we, so it's very like kind of. Specific. even
1: bike selections, um, you know, hmm. time trial set that may have some hills. We've had teams look at riding the road bike versus a time trial yeah. bike. Yeah, yeah
0: yeah do you look at i mean do you have a calculation in now that there now for the wider tires um because th- those are becoming more popular They're using 28s and 30s because there's supposedly less rolling resistance or tubeless versus um tubes
1: yes definitely um yeah all those those uh settings are in the bike setup
2: mm. so and in, in fact we probably need to you know like it, that's another area that it constantly evolves and it always seems to go wider as you're mentioning so uh you know no one's no one's running 19s or 21s <laughs> anymore and uh and so you have yeah you have those people riding 30s with really low tight you know really low pressure um and so um we did kind of re-baseline this was several years ago re-baseline um the rolling resistant calculations based on uh rolling resistance bike rolling com, and so kind of all their testing um and they did a really good job and still do a great job of, of testing different types of tires and, and uh. different pressures and at different sizes. And so, um, you know, that's always a good resource. Um, if you're setting it up and you have a specific tire that, you know, you're going to use at a certain pressure, go look at that and input that number in to the bike setup. And, uh, and that would, they test at what we consider an average, um, you know, it wouldn't be a Wales or a UK, Road surface, but it also wouldn't be. It'd be in between that and the Audubon, right? So somewhere in between those two um, is is kind of the where they where they do their testing uh, type of surface. So um, yeah, we we have all of all of that. Um, One thing I would add on, on use cases that we added a long time ago was we started with how much you know kind of a target power. What kind of target power are you looking at, or what kind of target time are you looking at? And then for triathlon, you once I met Joe, Joe Friel and we started talking about TSS and really kind of diving into that, um, we added a TSS model, um, specifically for triathletes. So you could say, okay, what kind of training stress, you know, does this athlete tend to run well off the bike? And so if you know that, you know, for a half Ironman, maybe they're at 180 or whatever, like whatever their kind of training stress score is where, you know, they've they've tended in this weather condition, they tend to run really well off the bike. Um, And so you can use that and it'll do both the time and the power.
0: Okay. Yeah. I I know Joe's done that table, hasn't he, where he he says, right, if you you want to be getting on an Ironman, I think, I can't remember whether it's um, just around 300 TSS for a ride is the optimal. Um, if you're a super strong runner you can maybe go uh, one band higher if you're a yeah. beginner you maybe go one band lower but you know if you're if you're planning on being out there for six and a half hours you're going to need to be at 70 percent of your FTP and that's yeah. going to give you this many points and that's going to enable you to run off it if you end up with this many TSS points you're going to be walking and uh, exactly uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> and, yeah
0: and I've, I've yeah. used those myself and that, and I, that's, that's a really useful guy but if you've combined those two now that's that, right, that would, and that would make it more helpful. Yeah.
2: And, and I think that's a, in, you know, it, it's a little harder for a brand new athlete. So you usually, you know, I, I would, I would tend to go error on the side of, you know, but it also gives the athlete a little bit of a perspective too, because, you know, every course is so different. So mm-hmm. Ironman Florida, you, you go somebody in their head may go, um, well, I need to do a five and a half hour bike split. i got to do it. And it's like, well, are you doing Ironman Florida or are you doing Ironman Wales? Cause they're going to be two different beasts. Yeah, and yeah Five sure. and a half at Wales is going to be a pro. T- <laughs> you know, that's going to be a, that's going to be a totally different thing than at, that at Florida. And, uh, and you can show them like, okay, that five and a half at Wales is a TSS of, you know, three You're a, you're not going to make it and B you're going to be crawling <laughs> the walk. Whereas,
0: it was making me think if if you used this on a multi-day race, if you were doing your own adventure or if you're doing something like, um, Ultraman where you might be riding on two or three consecutive days, I wonder if you could use the data to get the right power to then help you calculate what your calorie requirements are on the ride. Have you, have you looked into that at
1: all? I believe we do have some, um, uh some users that are, are using it to determine uh, when they need to take in calories and also uh, uh-huh. like rest stations and those sort of things uh, for, I mean, huge races. There's, there's one in the U S like a 3000 mile race that, that we've had people upload, you know, multiple segments of it just to do those sorts of things.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, I think uh, there's uh- I would say almost a majority of the Ram, you know, like the Race Across America team, right. you know, people that are that are kind of the coaches and, and the athletes that are doing it uh, use it. And I was surprised by that. We didn't really think about like yeah. these ultra, ultra endurance, uh, you know, how they look at it differently. I know there's a race, uh, what is it, in uh, in France uh, to, in, to the coast and back. It's like a twelve.
0: 12- oh, the Paris, Brest, Paris.
2: Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. – Tell you, i was very surprised at how many people um are using it for that or even for like bike camping so like you, yeah. you kind of look at these um to say like okay well i want to go you know i want to average out a hundred and something miles a day or whatever but let me look at it and say like here's a good this is going to be a hard section so i'm going to rest here i'm going to do this section and then really like break up the course and uh, uh bikepacking yeah so just kind of like Trying to figure out their route and and where they can put out power and where they need to rest and and those kind of things. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I know know Rich has talked about before adding some you know kind of nutrition aspects and uh, yeah um, to it. Yeah, we don't
1: we don't currently have um, anything in the models that will you know point out specific spots along the course where you should uh, be taking in calories are. Uh, Ryan mentioned, you know, attacking or maybe sitting up and taking a rest, and that's some of the things that that we'd like to add in so that it's built into your plan. Mm.
0: So let let's say that uh, one of my athletes has sort of taken the invitation because we're gonna give uh, we're gonna give listeners a, a discount code as well, aren't we? um that will give them 20 percent off and it'll be for the lifetime of their thing so listeners please look out for that in the show notes but let's say that by the end of this everybody's enthused and they think right i'm going to get a subscription to best bikes because it's going to make a big difference um and they put in all the data as instructed and they are get really excited about their race what what have you found are some of the biggest factors that can skew the data on race day so I guess, you know, although you said that most of the time it's accurate, there'll be times when it isn't. So what are the most common causes for when things aren't as as predicted?
1: Typically, if your uh, power meter is not calibrated correctly, um, that can cause times to be off. Um, that's the first thing we usually have them check is is make sure their, their uh, FTP is correct and their power meters are calibrated correctly. Um, the next one would probably be uh, the the drag or CDA that they input is completely off. One of the biggest issues new users have is the setup, you know, with their head unit and uh, Garmin in particular is, is tough to set up that first time. And we just always recommend, you know, doing some test rides and getting things set up in, in, in a way that you're comfortable with and you don't get out there on race day and find out that you know, it's, it's not working correctly. Um, the Just to,
2: uh, kind of touch on that for a second, which, um, cause we didn't, we hadn't really mentioned that yet is that best Bike split so does, you can load the course into Garmin and it will prompt you with the power targets, um, based on the plan. Similarly, you can actually connect to your Wahoo element via the API. Um, to it and so it'll just pull down automatically and it'll, it'll be there and it, it has a data field for target target power uh but that said we also have uh, cheat sheets which we call it which is basically based on that original like uh tony martin kind of idea where you you know when in doubt you tape this thing and, it, and it's not a huge long thing it's basically just gives you different scenarios it says headwind, this kind of power, tailwind, this kind of power, these kind of climbs, this kind of power. So it's mm-hmm. just really simplistic,
1: mm-hmm. but it
2: gives you a good, you know, kind of good number or a good like average target to hit. And you know, when there's a headwind and you know, when there's a tailwind and, and so you can kind of, kind of look through these and, um, and see, almost put limiters on yourself. Cause I know people get super excited when they get in a tailwind cause they're going fast. And so they want to push this big power, but you got to save that, especially if you need to come back into the yeah. Like,
1: head. Yeah.
2: Save some of that power for later. Um, um, so anyway, so sorry. Yeah. So we do some integrations there for, for on race day. Uh,
0: I remember talking to uh, a track coach who was telling me about a, uh, an hour record in mm-hmm. the velodrome. Right. And he said, the best possible thing for getting a record is to be in the middle of a hurricane when it's super low pressure, because, yeah. The bike absolutely rolls, Um, but if you're riding in high pressure, then that just the atmosphere causes everything to drag a little bit. Um, Do you make calculate? Do you do take that into account in your calculations? And if there was a change in the weather, I know I know that you have the you know rough average for weather at particular locations, but of course things storms can come in. You know weather can change. How big a difference will that make to the prediction if if um, if you get super high pressure on race day versus the normal low pressure or vice versa?
2: Sure, I mean it's pretty significant. Um, So weather would be the other other major factor. So we we use Dark Sky as the weather (laughs) uh, service to pull in pull in data. Um, and it usually does a pretty good job for a long time in Australia, it was always having a really hard time. And it's sometimes the wind was like completely one hundred and eighty from what, what it was saying it was. Um, and so we do suggest that you update your race plan, the closer you get to pull in the new, the latest weather. Um, because we look at the stations over the course of the time, um, that we think you're going to be there. And so if there, if it's, the forecast shows a big drop in pressure, a big increase in pressure Um, that'll, that'll be factored in. Um, However, if it just changes, you know, a storm pops up out of nowhere, um, then that can, can be a pretty pretty sizable difference. Um, You know, they do these hour records. uh, Sometimes they'll have a, they'll have a window of time and a lot of that's based on pressure. Cause they'll say like, okay, we're going to do it within this. We don't know exactly when we will between this day and this day, but we'll be looking at the weather and when the pressure dips to this amount, we're going to, we're going to go for it. Um, because in that hour record that could add, you know, hundreds of meters, right. To the, to the time difference, uh, or to the difference for, for a power. So, um, yeah. And, and another thing we take into account is the, the elevation. So you're, you know, you have your pressure, and in, in most of the, the sites put that at sea level. So this is the sea level equivalent pressure, mm. but that of course changes as you as you go up and a, as you climb. So um, you know, the the kind of weird counterintuitive is as you said, you have this low pressure system and you have moisture in the air. So you have kind of this like wettish air uh in it, and sometimes that's counterintuitive, but that is the most aerodynamic that that you'll get. So yeah. Um, the flow tail. Yeah, the that, the float day day. you get. Right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And ideally there's a big strong tailwind. Too. All the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
0: what what's uh, what does the future hold for you guys? What 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 things have you got in plan? You've talked about gravel racing, you've talked about a little bit more um maybe tweaking for nutrition elements. Um what what are the big things that you've got coming up that you can declare to listeners.
1: Um, I, I think focusing on some other types of uh races, the distance races, gravel, dirt. Um, trying to tie in to some of the more popular platforms and allow users to pull in data that they may already have on those platforms, and that could be, you know, courses or even uh, you know, athlete data like their FTPs and those sort of things without having to punch them in on ours, just to pull them directly over. Mm-hmm. I think those are some things we're looking at, just how to make it easier to get your race plan and 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 keep it accurate
0: Hmm. i mean it definitely seems like you know if you if you want to have a a good idea of what your potential is then it seems like something like this which crunches the data for you and gives you a good idea of course in a triathlon there's still the swim to do and the bike to do so you, you you know you don't do those bits do you um yet but uh but still, um, having a good idea of how long the bike's going to take. I mean, it might even be useful just to tell your partner when she'd expect you back in T2, right, not it? You know, <laughs> yeah, so that, you because, because <laughs> I've, I've met so many partners who say, well, I was supposed to be there to take photographs, but I just decided to go to the bathroom and then he'd come and gone <laughs> and I missed it. And he's now, he's really angry with me. So just knowing roughly what time they're going to arrive back is uh, c- could be a bonus, couldn't it?
1: Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned run. Um, I actually do have a platform it's completely free and it doesn't have a ton of, of courses on it, but it's, uh, for running. And, um, it basically breaks the course down the same way. Uh, -hmm. mostly just elevation changes because with running, you don't have all those other factors. But, um, the idea is that instead of breaking a course up into mile segments or kilometer segments, it breaks it up into segments that make sense as far as where your pace is going to change. And, um, that's something that that we think we may uh integrate somewhere or you know become something more like best bike split where y- you get more data and it's it's a planning tool basically for for marathons and and racing
0: is is that somewhere we could send the listeners to
1: sure it's uh the pace calculator our pacingcalculator.com
0: not best run split not yet <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we'll we'll I'll get I'll get those full details off you, Rich, and we'll put them in sure. the uh, we'll, we'll put them in the show notes. Um, is there anything we've missed in the discussion? Anything you particularly wanted to tell the listeners about that um, we haven't covered
1: yet? Don't think so, um, Ryan.
2: No, I mean I fairly fairly good. I, I think you know the the top takeaways, uh, you know, just kind of the rules of thumbs, uh, you know, that that people like are, you know, when you're looking at looking at a race, looking at Ironman or looking at like kind of a triathlon is, you know, setting up your goal expectations. And so, you know, best bike split originally, we set it as this kind of tool for planning and and kind of figuring out the best way to, to attack a course. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, making sure that you know what to expect on race day. And so getting those athletes ready to, um, you know, the ultimate goal is to have a smile on your face and, you know, it it may be a grimace, but you're going to smile (laughs) because you've hit the time that you've wanted or you hit the cutoff or, or, uh, you know, you, you, you come across the finish line you go, okay, I, I did everything. I prepped for it. I was prepared for it. And, and so I think the rules of thumb are, you know, have an idea of what the, what your goal should be making sure that, you know, the biggest influencers on your, your actual time, as you mentioned, you know, spend time on FTP. Sure. But maybe spend, you know, 20% of your time, getting your mobility, making sure your position's right making sure that you can stay in your bike for five hours and that you can be okay with that. um, mm. um and then, and then finally, you know, just kind of, um, uh, Yes. And finally, just kind of like being, being able to, to go in and and pre-train and do some things that, you know, are going to be relevant to race day so that you can say, okay, like you did with Ironman, uh, with Canada. And so be able to say like, okay, I know what kind of power I'm going to have to output let me do this once every couple of weeks. Let me, let me look at it. And I do the whole course, but just key sections. If there's a head practice being in this headwind section where I know I'm going to have to be super aerodynamic and putting out a little bit higher power, maybe 82% for that, you know, 20 minutes of that section. And so you can really be, you know, you go into race day. And even if you've never been to Kona or you've never been to these courses that you go, okay. Oh, here's this turn. I know there's going to be a headwind. Okay, I'm prepped for it mentally. I'm ready for it. So, hmm. yeah.
0: I mean, as a coach speaking and as a user here as well, you know, the, the way I would say this is best is if you're going to invest in Best Bike Split, do it well before your race so you can use it to help inform your training, not just, you know, getting it the week before and predicting, oh, yeah, well, I think I'm going to do a 515 on this course. Right. You, right. Use it to actually help you be smart about the type of training you do. And yeah, I, th- I think I think that's the main one is is use it. And again, the the thing that we've covered already is use it also to work out um, the different ways. The, again, smarter training is it's not always about having the highest FTP. I mean, the thing for long distance tracing as well is FTP is important, but it's about your ability to work at a, a percentage of that FTP for a long period of time. And you might you might have spent all your time on Swift doing one-hour time trials, boosting your FTP. Right. But if you can't sit in the saddle for six hours, and we see this, we see people in the swimming pool that do 100 metres all the time and are really fast, but when you put them in and ask them to swim 3K, they're nowhere near that time because they just don't have the endurance to match. So you, this is a fantastic training tool as well, not just a race day predictor. So that, that would be my thing. And for coaches, it's a way of helping your athletes to understand what's required for race day as well as a um, uh, sort of helping them to predict the bike thing. So, yeah. Um, well all said. round, all round, a great investment, I think, and definitely worth trying and taking advantage of Richie's generous um, offer, which, as I said before, you'll find in the show notes. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's been a long time coming, I know, but um, I'm glad to finally got you on. And thanks for sharing an insight into Best Buy Exploit.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great.
0: Okay, guys. Thank you and take care. Bye-bye now. Thank you to Rich and Ryan for being on this week's High Performance Human Podcast. As usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below, including the 20% discount coupon, which works for the lifetime of your Best Bike Split membership. Please have a good look for that because it's well worth it. Now, if you are passionate about extending your athletic career into your 60s and 70s, you won't want to miss any episode in the future. Please just go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Podcast and subscribe. And that's it. The podcast for each week will appear in your podcast app. Okay, that's all for now. I'll be back in seven days time with another great guest. But for now, have a fabulous week and I'll see you on the next episode.